Union of Faith International, the overseeing organization that over that is kind of the umbrella for our local churches in the area, the River, the Harbor, Community of Faith Christian Fellowship, but also our our churches um, outside of this area, which we have a church in Tempe, Arizona, uh, and also we have a few works overseas. So we have a, an umbrella organization called Community of Faith International. I am the um, president of that organization, and we also then have a, a local or regional expression. Um, and we brought some clarity to you this summer in written form. I'm not sure that it was communicated um, verbally, and so I just want to kind of give you a sense of where we are as a movement in our region. But we, we pulled together with our outside oversight team, which Jimmy Seibert, who is the head of the Antioch movement, is a part of our board, and a few of our outside board members came in, and we were processing with them over the actually the last year what is the best way for us to interact as churches regionally to strategically um, be able to accomplish the things that God has put in our hearts, which is primarily who we are is to be a vibrant local church expression, but also to be a church planting movement, churches that plant churches. And the consensus agreement among us as leaders is that we would be better off if we had a, um, a synergy between our churches where there was some dependence upon one another and some independence. And so we um, affirmed as a board and eldership uh, in May for us to um, define ourselves as a church with multiple congregations. And in that, uh, in that agreement, we're in the process of, of, of dialoguing between churches on how does that work? Uh, what, are, what are some of the ways in which we can centrally work together where it helps? And where are some ways in which we need to be autonomous or independent to give life and expression to the local congregations? And so we are in that process right now. Um, and we um, are little by little um, seeing that come about. But one of the primary ways that that is functioning presently is that we are centralizing our our business operations. So as much as we can bring our accounting and our administration into one central hub and central flow of communication, etc., we're doing that. And so um, Charlie Halley, I think he came up and preached a few weeks ago, is right at the head of that, leading that forward. And uh, so you will be seeing some um, benefit from that. You're already seeing benefit. You don't realize that of some streamlining of processes, some uh, some help logistically with personnel to help keep the operations of our churches running. But we also are um, communicating on how we can work together both in a ministry way to accomplish our, those goals well as, as possible. Um, and actually, one of, one of the practical ways that that has been demonstrated over the last few months is what has been happening here at the harbor in regards to Neil um, taking a longer sabbatical. Neil was scheduled um, to take a sabbatical from, uh, for six weeks at the beginning of the summer. And towards the end of that summer and end of that sabbatical, and I believe that you've received a few communications on this, but just want to follow it up personally myself, towards the end of that time of sabbatical, Neil and Kelsey, along with the, the eldership of CFI, realized he needed more time. Uh, one way to define it really simply is, is that Neil had been giving out a lot more than he was taking in. Um, and uh, we have a term for that in ministry. It's called burnout. And he hit a place where he was burned out. And we said, you know what, Neil, you're not in a place to, to jump back into active ministry again until you get some refreshment, you get some encouragement, uh, you and Kelsey, so that you are making it for the long haul, not just for the short haul. And so they've extended their sabbatical a couple of, almost three months more. 
Um, and they're at the very tail end of that. As a matter of fact, they get back into Beverly today after being um, gone for three weeks um, in Michigan for some extensive refreshment and counseling and encouragement to, to fill up their tanks. They, they went to a ministry called Alongside that actually is set up primarily to come alongside of missionaries overseas and pastors who are in the place that um, Neil and Kelsey are in. What you might, might not know is that when that decision was made, Charlie Halley and myself and Mark and Susan Buckner actually, so the, part of the eldership team for CFI, jumped into the fray with you guys and have been spending, we have been spending at least once a week here on the North Shore meeting with your staff, helping things operate behind the scenes, encouraging, equipping, and however we can, and helping the church move forward. And it's so fun to see, uh, being the first time that I've been with you this semester, to see the life and vitality in the, in the service this morning. That's, that's what we want to see happen. We, we, we wanted to see the church, the harbor, move forward in strength and encouragement, just like it always has done in the past. So, um, where are we now? Um, Neil and Kelsey come back today, and we will be meeting with them this week to, to kind of discern, how are you doing? Um, we've given them a lot of space. Just to, uh, part, of, part of burnout is that you can't get, get, get away from ministry. For those of you who don't know, it's like ministry follows you. Your cell phone, your email, your house. It just it becomes a 24-7 kind of job. And so we have tried to protect Neil and Kelsey's space so they wouldn't have to deal with all of the ministry questions. But as they come back this afternoon, this evening, we will, we've already got meetings set up for this week for us to begin the process of unpacking with them how this time has been, where they're at, and how we go forward. All indications are from Neil, the little snippets that I have, and you know Neil, he is an encourager and he's excited, is that he is coming back with some fresh vision and fresh energy for um, his role here at the harbor. What I do want to say to you is, is that we are, we are asking Neil not to jump full, full feet back into his role when he comes back. So we're actually putting some guardrails on his life so that he can ease back into ministry, but also so that we can discern what's the next right step for him and Kelsey. I can tell you this, though, they absolutely love you and love this church and are eager to be back here with you. And so we're eager to figure out how to make that work so that they are firing on all cylinders as they jump back in to ministry here at the harbor. Amen. Does that make sense? If you have any other questions, you, by the way, have an incredible team that has held things together day in and day out in Neil's absence. Um, Beth Price. John Prickett, Sarah Booth, uh, you got a support staff with Liz and all these guys that work on Sunday mornings, Brian Carlson and your, your advisory team, Dan Baker, um, Jim Miriam, they've all been very, very active in uh, continuing to pull the trigger on things, continue to move forward as we kind of give Neil and Kelsey some space uh, to be refreshed. And so you need to really, really, as a matter of fact, can we give that support team, your staff, a round of applause for everything that they've done? Jenna, I'm, I'm not mentioning all the names. There's a whole host. Keith Crass, I forgot to mention him on the A-team. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying all the names, but you know who those people are, and they are serving wonderfully. Okay. All right. So here we are, the start of my message. 
You have been, um, I have not heard the audio recordings of John Prickett and Beth Price's messages over the last couple of weeks, but I've seen their transcripts, and you had some awesome messages shared with you already about what is the key vision or key core beliefs that we have as a church here at the harbor. Um, I believe that you say it on your bulletin, you, you, you talk about it in your small groups, you share that this is our desire, that we'd be a people who love God, that we would share life dynamically and deeply with one another, and that we would be ones who proclaim Jesus boldly. And so you, you've, you've already heard a couple of messages about that sense of awe and wonder that we experience when we recognize how deeply God loves us. And in that place of being deeply loved by God, um, it automatically spills out of our lives in such a way that we deeply love one another. And I believe that Beth primarily focused on how we as a church love one another. Is that correct? But not only do we love, receive and love God in that way, uh, in a deep way and love one another, but he also places within us a mission, a calling to proclaim his love to others. Standing before you this morning, I hate to declare this now, but since I'm here and you're a captive audience, could you go ahead and close the doors, please? You're standing, you're seeing a crazy man. I'm a crazy man. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm crazy in love with God. And sometimes because of the love that I've experienced with Jesus, and uh, I... Uh, I do crazy things for him. Amen? And I actually know that I'm not the only crazy person in here because I've done crazy things with some of you before uh, to declare and to just demonstrate the love of God. As a matter of fact, with a few of your crazy in love with Jesus people in this room, um, I put on a red prayer smock in the middle of New York City. Yeah, that's right. A carpenter's apron that says, Jesus loves you. Oh, no, prayer changes things. What did it say, Kathy? Prayer changes things? And Kathy and Mika and Rocky and Jason and I and then a host of people from CFCF in the river, we stood out on the streets of New York City and we said, can we pray for you because Jesus loves you? I, I felt a little crazy. What in the world was I doing? As a matter of fact, crazy people talk back to me. I'm not joking. We had people spit on us. We had people curse us. We had people embrace us because they were so thankful. We had people bring us back ice cream because they were thankful that we were prayed for them. We had all kinds of craziness in New York City. Why do we do that? Because we've been so impacted by the love of Jesus that we want other people to know it. And we're just crazy enough to do something like put red smocks on our bodies and stand in the middle of busy sidewalks because we know that if at least just one person is stopped in their tracks and is made aware of God in that moment in a way that possibly could transform their lives, it's worth it. And I can tell you that I was only there for half the outreach. And I know that we probably shared with over four or 500 people the prayers of Jesus. But I can tell you personally that at least a dozen people thanked me through glistening eyes or powerful words. You do not realize how important this interaction with you has been in my life. My life is touched or changed by the declaration of God through you. That's crazy. I was looking online um, this, this week as I'm following this crisis with ISIS 
and the, the, the radical confrontation of, of our faith as believers and uh, the mandate of others who feel like that they need to snuff our lives out in the name of God. You've heard stories about people um, being murdered and killed and beheaded in the Middle East because of their position that is not in confessing of Islam. And most of those who are being targeted, especially in northern Iraq, are people who are Christians. And so at the, at the, um, the tip of a spear or gunpoint, they're asked to renounce their faith in Jesus and or be killed or imprisoned for their faith. And many, 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 many people are either losing their lives or being imprisoned because they won't denounce their faith in Jesus. Not only are those testimonies being sown, and I pray, I ask you to continue to pray for our dear sisters and brothers throughout the world that are facing these circumstances all the time. It's not just in the Middle East, it's in Africa. Um, It's in Asia, in parts of Indonesia. So we need to pray. But people are leaving the safety or the supposed safety of our country to go over to the front lines in Iraq and love on Jesus. I mean, love on people in the name of Jesus. So I saw a video of an organization and our organization does this as well, but I watched a video of an organization called CRI and they are literally bringing medical help in uh, the gospel Bibles right on the front lines of where these, these men are defending their families in the face of ISIS. One family, one husband and wife, and I'm not, I'm not declaring this to be good or bad, but it shows their radical love for Jesus and their belief that God's going to protect them, took their whole family over to minister to the families that were being persecuted or losing their lives in the face of this oppression. Why would somebody living in Beverly, Massachusetts with a secure, safe life with a beautiful garden and a nice car and wonderful amounts of food and privilege pack everything up and ship their whole family over to the front lines of literal gunfire and death for somebody we can't even touch, we we've, we've never even seen with our eyes because they have experienced the love and the passion and the compassion in the life of Jesus in such a way that they know that it matters. They know that it's worth it to say, I am willing God. And people don't just do that haphazardly, but they probably were watching the news as I have been. They probably wept over the pain and the suffering as I have. And, they, and they, in that place of response, God probably just said in a small voice, would you be willing to go? Would you be willing to go and provide help and medical care in Jesus to people who are in the face of death? And some brave souls said, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll go. He doesn't call all of us to do that, but he calls all of us to be open to the task. Amen. He calls all of us to say in that place, I'm willing because of what you've done with me. Look at this passage of scripture this morning in second Corinthians five, Paul, the apostle says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. 
The NIV translation says compels us. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Either way, Christ's love controls or compels us since we believe, the NIV says, since we are convinced, I like the force of the NIV's translation with that sentence, that we are compelled and convinced that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Thank you, Jesus. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we as Christ ambassador, we are we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I love that. Come back to God or come to God. We speak for God when we do that. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. He who knew no had no sin became sin for us so that we might be made right with God. You have been loved amazingly by God. He loves you like crazy. Say, God loves me like crazy. Now say it like you mean it. Now say it like you know it. Now say it like you're going to share it. Oh, that was the best one. I like that. That's good. God loves us like crazy. He loves us with a pursuing, forgiving, overlooking our errors and weaknesses, awesome, committed love. I was talking to my daughter who's in college right now, and she was sharing with me a story about her conversation with one of her classmates at school, and um, they were talking about dating and this, this, this young lady she was talking to is not a believer in Jesus, but she has a commitment that she is going to wait and save herself for marriage. She is not going to be sexually active before she gets married. And she says, and that's what I want my husband to be. I want us to both be virgins when we get married. She's not deriving this from a Christian uh, conviction. She's driving this, deriving this from a position in her heart. And I felt like that my daughter, Molly, nailed it. I said, why do you think that is, Molly? And she says, Dad, I think it's because she's wanting somebody to love, love her for who she really is and who has been willing to lay down their own life and desires until they found somebody that was worth giving themselves fully to. She, she wants the depth of that love of somebody who's saying, you are the most perfect person in the world. I choose to love you because you're special. And who has lived their lives in such a way to give that gift back to me. Well, I thought, we have that in Jesus, don't we? 
The world doesn't have that apart from Christ. And so we look for it in the knight in shining armor. We look for it in the, the best experiences that we can buy or that we can long for. But we have it in Jesus. Unconditional love and grace. That's what we've received. He loves us like crazy and we love him like crazy. Or at least we should. For those of you who have fallen in love, it's a two-way road, isn't it? I remember when Laura put little... Uh, Hershey's kisses and notes on my pillow. That was awesome. She loved me. And then I went out to, di- to dinner with her and I couldn't eat my food because she was so beautiful. My stomach was all in knots. It's true. And it was my favorite meal too. It was chicken fried chicken at the time, mashed potatoes. And Laura is better than chicken fried chicken. Couldn't eat it. That love was, as some people say, that kind of love is intoxicating. It's overwhelming. It's it's puppy love. Well, I don't know what puppy love is. I must have matured into dog love. I don't know what that looks. But I got love for my wife. But I am an imperfect husband, and she's a much more perfect wife. But we are not perfectly in love. The only perfect love that we receive and know is the love that God demonstrates to us. But when we taste it and touch it, it should overwhelm and transform our life. It did so much transform Paul's life, the writer of 2 Corinthians, that he who had been a murderer and a pursuer and a persecutor of those who followed Jesus, one who had, had, had made it his aim to eradicate and snuff out the gospel, to snuff out Christians, when he met Jesus and his sins were forgiven and his arrogance was overlooked and his esteem and his works, he, he, he says later, became rubbish in his eyes. He was so changed by Jesus that he changed his calling. He became a preacher of the gospel because he could, could not contain the love that he experienced in God. And he is the one who leads us through that passage of scripture into this last point. Not only does he love us like crazy and we are crazy about him, but he loves us in such a way that we have a crazy love for other people, right? We have an unusual love for people that we should not love. I'm riding to the grocery store um, on my bike, I've got my backpack on. I can only buy a couple of things because that's all I can put in my backpack. I park my bike. I see this guy sitting on the bench. He looks a little bit sad. I look at him and I say, God, what's going on in that person's life? I go into the grocery store. I'm praying for him. I'm thinking about him. I come back out. He's still there. I said, yes, I'm going to go talk to him. I go talk to him. I say, hi. We, I introduce myself. He looks at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Crazy people don't talk to people on benches. They don't talk to people on buses. They don't talk to people on the street. We just keep to ourselves. But crazy people actually love people. We actually are concerned when the person is sitting on the bench and it looks like he has not had a good day. And when I asked him, have you had a good day? He said, no. And I said, why? Because I don't like my boss. My boss is hard. And we get into a conversation and the eyes of his soul begin to open up as he sees that I'm not just asking him a question but I really care about him. Crazy people in love with Jesus have crazy kind of love for people that they wouldn't normally love. And it changes the world. You've seen it in new believers' eyes. You ever been around somebody who's just gotten loved by Jesus? They can't stop talking about him. What does that say for you and me who have been loved by Jesus for a long time? 
We need to start talking about him a little bit more, don't we? We need to be reminded of the joy, the scripture says, of our salvation. We had some friends who had, who had um, placed their lives in danger um, to go over to Afghanistan um, 10 years ago now. One of them, along with a team, was thrown into prison and um, were miraculously saved by a military uh, endeavor at night. And they were rescued from the Taliban and were able to come back to the United States and talk of their captivity. And one of the things that Dana said is she said, you know, I would never want to do that again. But she said some of the sweetest times of my life were in that jail cell. As I was able to be comforted by the living God, but also as I was able to proclaim and talk about Jesus to others who had not known him. And there's something strange. I have a strange kind of scary confession, but I can almost say, God, I'd go back and do that again because you were with me. And so they were interviewed by James Dobson on the radio, and they shared their story of their time in Afghanistan and their, their, their rescue from Afghanistan and the journey that they went on, and, and they talked about Jesus. And at the end of the interview, James Dobson says, he says, you know, I just can't get over how you say the name of Jesus. When you say the name Jesus, it's like he's your best friend. Isn't that the way it should be? That when we receive the crazy love of God and when we are infected and and in relationship with, uh, with God, with a crazy kind of love in us, that the way that we think about him and talk about him and declare him to other people should be with the sweetness in the affection, in the depth of friendship as if we really know him and we really like him and he really is the living God. No other name but Jesus. We sang about Jesus' love and compassion for us this morning, a Brandon Heath song, And and the prayer is, give me your eyes, Lord. Give me your eyes. I want to know how you love me, but also, Lord, I want to see as you see. I want to feel as you feel. And we know in Scripture, it says says about Jesus, it says, so we have, um, excuse me, lost my my verse here. That's not the verse I want. Yeah, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9. Jesus saw us and he sees you and he sees the world apart from Christ, apart from knowing him as sheep without a shepherd, lost and all alone. Do we have those eyes when we see people around us? God, is that person lost? Is that person alone? Is that person hopeless? Is that person in distress or despair? Give me your eyes for just one second. Lord, would you give me your eyes so I can see? Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond your reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. All those people are going somewhere. Why have I never cared? 
I want to show you a video clip real, uh, real quickly of a man who is on that journey of being lost without God. And I want you to hear his story. My name is Steve Turek. I started in high school. I graduated valedictorian, was captain of the baseball, basketball, and football teams, homecoming king, National Honor Society. Then I went to the Ivy League, to Dartmouth College. I graduated summa cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa, with highest distinction in my major. I went from there to Yale University and studied law for a year took a break as assistant dean of Dartmouth College and resumed my legal education at Trinity College, Cambridge University in England. While I was there, I also competed athletically and continued my rowing career and reached what for Orsman is sort of the pinnacle. I was a member of the Cambridge crew that raced Oxford in the boat race on the Thames River in London. We won both races and I was even chosen as the captain the first to ever have that honor. That was The race has hundreds of thousands of people lining the banks of the Thames and millions more watching television. I guess I'd say that was my 15 minutes of fame. I then came back to the United States to pursue the legal career I'd been preparing for. I joined a major commercial law firm in the Twin Cities as a litigation associate. And three years later, I left with five other individuals to form Winthrop and Weinstein, which is today one of the major commercial law firms in the Twin Cities. I always heard people tell me that I had it made, and I think I agreed with them. After many years of professional and personal success, the trajectory of my life started to change. First, I failed as a husband. I had married my high school sweetheart, and after 20 years, our marriage ended in divorce. Then I failed as a father. I had remarried, and as we came back from our honeymoon, I received a phone call from my eldest son. So something happened. Something happened was happening in his life, but something happened in that young lady's life. My guess is, 35th floor, high-powered lawyer, that he had never seen before. He wasn't that powerful. She maybe knew about him. He didn't know about her. But because of her love for God and her courage and her willingness to be his vessel, she, led by the Spirit, did what she could do. Not what anybody else should or could do, but what she could do. She extended the love that she had experienced and that she had given back to the Lord, to this man, through simple words. Jesus loves you, you know. We can do that. We can live that life. We can be 
that young lady. It doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't take an apologetics class. It doesn't take 15 Bible studies. It takes a yielded, impacted life who has been crazily loved by God and gets it, who is willing to, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the affection that comes from our hearts by one who has been changed, miraculously changed, as Steve talks about, to do what God asks us to do. And oftentimes, it's as simple as Jesus loves you, you know. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, would you give us your eyes to see? Would you give us a heart of thankfulness, of reception, of of what you have given, what you have shown, what you are doing in us, who you are, Lord, the living God, the one who is our Savior, the one who loves Pray, Lord, that you would uh, renew and refresh us again to how great a salvation we have received in you. And Lord, for, for some of us in the room, maybe there's some in the room that have never encountered that kind of miraculous love in the way that Steve talked about, the way that we've been talking today. Lord, you've said in your word, Lord, that today is the day of salvation. Lord, that if we are awakened today to that reality, we don't have to wait till tomorrow to receive or to understand, but we can call out to you today to come and to forgive and to dwell within our lives and to make us new, as this passage of Scripture said, to make us different, as Steve just declared. I'm different. Lord, I'm asking God that if there are any in the room that are engaging you in that way right now, that this would be the day that they courageously let their lives be invaded by the loving God of the universe, the Savior of mankind, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator, the Sustainer, the living God, Jesus, who came to earth humbled himself in the form of a man and died for us on a cross to pay for our sin, to open the door of reconciliation, to bring banished man and woman back to God. Jesus, 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 Jesus loves you, you know. So would you do that for any in this room, Lord? Would you call them this morning and would we respond? Would you stand up with me, congregation? And as we stand, can we, if, if, we, if you feel comfortable, not, 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 don't look around. Don't, don't uh, um, get enamored by what's going on in somebody else's life. But what is God doing in your life? Could you fix your gaze upon the Lord, whether that's closing your eyes or looking up or however you do it? Can you place your hands in front of you in a place of surrender if you so desire? And say, God, would you remind me again of where I've come from? Would you remind me again of where I could have been going without you, Jesus? Would you remind me again of how blessed I have been because you're in my life? 
Would you open my eyes right now to people I live around, people I work with, people I interact with? Lord, would you open my eyes right now to how you feel about them? what you desire for their lives, how you created their lives for purpose, just like you created mine, that you want them to know that you love them. Would you open my eyes and my heart to that right now, Lord Jesus? He's speaking even now. He's speaking even now. He's giving you faces. You're seeing faces differently than you've seen them before. He's placing names in your heart. Don't, don't shut him out. Don't don't stand there figuratively with your arms closed and your heart closed to the pursuit of God, but let God do something fresh in your life today. Don't worry about what He's going to do with you. Just say right now, God, I'm willing to go with you. I don't know what you're going to do with me, but God, if you're with me, it'll be okay. If you're with me when I say those words, it'll be okay. If you're with me when you call me to go do something, it will be okay. It'll be okay on the streets of Beverly. It'll be okay in the offices of Danvers. It'll be okay in the halls of Gordon or Salem State. It'll be okay in the neighborhoods here. It'll be okay if I get on a plane and go someplace else. It'll be okay in the streets of New York. It'll be okay in the the fields of Afghanistan. If you are with me, I will go. And I don't have to do much, Lord, but say, Jesus loves you, you know, because I know you and because you will save. Lord, we are a people that have nothing else but you, really. All else fades away. As Steve was sharing, the things that we build our lives upon, if they're not in you, will crumble. Maybe not today, we don't feel it, but they will crumble because they don't give us the promise of life that you can only give. Lord, our hands are open. Our hearts are open. Will you impart Jesus.